personal log, Captain Tijan of Freighter Sanctioned, Stardate. Who can remember, man? <laughs> so, like, all of our systems are, like, down or something. There's all these flashing lights and, I don't know, smoke and wires and shit. Oh, and it turns out we're, like, really close to the sun. My bad. Everyone's, like, freaking out, and it is seriously stressing me out. We just heard from some ship, and they asked, like, a lot of super hard questions, and I... Oh, hold on. Who is it? Dave? Ah, Dave's not here. Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as a kid to see how it holds up. So just say no and let's re-engage. Welcome once again to re-engage. We are visiting the episode Symbiosis, and I've got three cultural bridge officers here to help me dissect this episode, starting with Mr. Greg Tito. Hello, Greg. How are you? Hi. Doing great. Very excited to not do drugs ever <laughs> again, at least until we're done recording this episode. Indeed. <laughs> and Mr. Eric Gratton. Hello, good sir. Hello, I'm excited to see all my friends tonight. I I noticed something here in this episode that I can put into words now, and it's the fact that I love that the Starship Enterprise sometimes uses that boatswain's whistle that before they start talking, and it just makes me very happy. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> And Jimmy G. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? Hey, Kate. Hi. Do you realize the street value of this barrel? <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Excellent opening, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank oh. you. Yes. You might note uh, I didn't give a star date. Uh, this is one of only five episodes in Next Generation where there was no star date. So we are timeless. This We're is one of those episodes that just is anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Anywhere, anytime. Uh, we're on April 18th, 1988 was this Ooh. episode. We had a Nielsen One day rating. after my birthday, by oh, the way. Oh, happy birthday oh. back then and someday else. 20, I crushed it. I crushed it. Somewhere in there. <laughs> what, yeah, what did you turn on this date? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good times. Uh, we had a Nielsen rating of 10.8, which was one of the higher uh, ratings and actually wouldn't get matched again until season two. So uh, so we're at a high here for this very, very <laughs> special episode. Uh, mm. on, on the old radio, number one was, where do broken hearts go? Do they find their way home? Oh, Whitney. Mm. Oh, Whitney. God, hey, I love it. Nailing it, nailing, nailing it. Um, Beetlejuice remained on top. I'll say it again, Beetlejuice. And one more time, Beetlejuice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. This episode was written by Robert Lewin, Richard Manning, and Hans Beimer. Bonmeyer. That's the bad guy Die from Hard, right? Sorry, uh, yes, Die Hard, right? Yes. 
based on a story by uh, Lewin, uh, directed by Wynne Phelps, who directed uh, Fame, the TV television per- uh, production of Fame. Oh, uh, he's going to live forever. That show also had a big influence on me because I was like, I am going to grow up someday and I am going to go to Fame school. <laughs> <laughs> LaGuardia, right? That was LaGuardia on the Absolutely, West Side. Yes, it was. Wasn't it? All I remember yeah. is Debbie Allen with I... her huge cane. And she's saying, uh, you want fame? Well, fame costs. And right here's where you start paying. In sweat. Fame! I'm gonna live forever! <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I was in a production of fame in high school. I played really? Ralph Garcy, no. and during the song at the end, I sing the body electric. I stood uh, next to a friend of mine who played Bruno Mars, who uh, went on to win the German version of The Voice. Wow. He jokingly asked me to stop singing because I was throwing him off key. <laughs> was he joking, though? Jokingly. I hope so, because you have to be a bad singer to be thrown off key <laughs> by somebody else. Oh, no. I'm a very bad singer. <laughs> now, I want you to sneak into the voice <laughs> recording and like be in the audience and start singing off key just to screw him up. I sing the body electric. There you go. Uh, this episode was written after executive producer Maurice Hurley worked on an episode of Miami Vice. And he credits <laughs> really? that That's... with this episode's drug trade theme. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Wow. Michael Mann uh, that does TNG. This was uh, yet another episode that uh, scenes were arriving late. There was a lot of chaos. The director, Wynne Phelps, uh, recalled that there were numerous continuity issues with character motivations changing from one scene to the next, which, you know, three writers, that'll happen sometimes. Uh, And because of changes to the scripts, the actors were often acting in scenes that they had not seen the script for before the first take. Ooh. Uh, this was also uh, filmed after uh, uh, the next episode, which we will talk about next week. Uh, but this was technically Denise Crosby's last episode to film. Um, so she, uh, until yesterday's in- Enterprise in the future, of course. Um, and she can right. actually be seen waving goodbye when Crusher and Picard are leaving the cargo bay at the end of the episode. If you look in the background, she's waving goodbye to the camera. And they as the her doors a, close. As the doors close. So there's this little bye. Uh, amazing. <laughs> and you can even see her body go into action because she realizes it's too late for them to cut me out now. <laughs> I will definitely be watching that after this. That's super cool. It's at uh, minute 42. Yeah, it's great. It's very rare for actors to be able Hell to get yeah. that, like, you know, breaking the fourth wall moment even if i and the director talked about the fact that that uh she was so far back that they knew that no one would really see her but that's before you know we could pause television and and dvd players yeah yeah yeah. as well as hd conversions that make the the sides (laughs) of the uh um what are the the turbo lifts look like carpet that's Where you stapled see, under she's them. actually like, has the middle finger up. <laughs> Juices, bitches! This is for you, Gene! Suck it, Gene! Oh, behind the scenes footage and bloopers from this episode were used in an episode of Reading Rainbow. Uh, oh, fuck yeah. That, 
Yeah, nice. which is amazing. So um, uh, we got LeVar Burton um, getting a little behind the scenes action there for, for his other show, which I think is fantastic. Uh, we've got That's a lot really of great guest stars uh, of some of, of some note, um, starting with Merritt Buttrick, uh, who played Tajan, appearing, of course, in Star Trek Wrath of Khan and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock as... Kirk. Do we know? Little, yes, little as, da- as David son. Marcus, the son of James T. Kirk. Tiny Kirk. Um, I was very excited to learn that um, he was in the show Square Pegs, mm-hmm. which was one of my favorite uh, sitcoms growing up. It just had one season, and it had Sarah Jessica Parker, and it was all about um, new wave punk kids trying <laughs> to fit into their Johnny high school. Slash. Johnny Slash. That's right. Uh, Merritt, of course, uh, sadly died of AIDS at the age of 29 uh, in 1989, so not too long past the time that this episode uh, was aired. Wow, I I had no idea. I was, because I was always thought about this actor because of, you know, he he had that strong Mm -hmm. turn as David Marcus and everyone kind of remembers him and then he's in this and I was like, well, he just... Fizzled out, did something else with his life. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so awful. It was just because uh, you know, it was cut it's too a late. whole generation of, uh, you know, most often, you know, young male actors in, in Hollywood and elsewhere. You know, not, not just actors, of course, but I mean, you know, I, I work in musical theater a lot and there's a, a whole mm-hmm. generation uh, older than me that is underrepresented today, you know, due to all of this stuff. I hadn't realized he was one we lost. That's really sad. He was joined uh, in this episode by Judson Scott, who played Sobe, uh, who was the sort of posher uh, of the alien. Um, and he also appeared in Star Trek Wrath of Khan uh, as uh, I, can, I ne- can never remember as Joachim or Joachim. Uh, someone's do, do they even say his it? name I don't, ever? He's they, just like the flunky of Khan the whole time, why. right? Uh, he is un, uh, unbilled in that. And that was because his agents tried to angle to get him a better, higher billing. They wanted him right underneath the, um, the main cast. And when they said no... Uh, he unknowingly gave them permission to waive billing, which he thought meant he would just go lower in the in the list. He didn't realize that meant that he would not be on the list at all. So he is uncredited wow. in that in that film. That's rough. Does yeah. it, does that impact residuals, Eric? I don't think so, but um, I mean, it impacts certainly visibility. impacts a young career. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and if they think it's a matter of peak. Rather than a misunderstanding of what the terms mean, I mean, not everybody's the most reasonable, <laughs> you know, up and down the the chain of command. Oh, that sounds clearly like a hey, you want to you want to f with us? Oh, find out what happens. You know, they were going to stick it to him. That was like not even him, probably to oh, his totally. agent more than him. They probably didn't. They probably didn't care about him. People they just wanted to mess up his agents in, ever you know, as collateral damage, certainly, in in some of these arguments of of (laughs) personality uh judson later went on to be in an episode of voyager uh and the one that i got excited he was lieutenant james in the show v which oh shit that show you guys talk about a show that screwed me up as a kid 
Oh, it's incredible. I, I can't remember the name of the book it's based on, but it's a it's based on a book that has nothing to do with aliens and is just a anti-fascist novel about like increasing really? right wing problematic things and they turned it into an alien uh they, they turned the central metaphor into aliens and it it's very cool when you can't get some something on tv right you have to make it sci-fi yeah. wasn't that Roddenberry's right. whole shtick in the 60s where he's like i want to talk about cold war you know issues and things like that but i couldn't get it past totally. the censors so We'll make it this uh, fanciful thing. Yeah, that must have been lizard people. There. That's interesting. Yeah, I loved. <laughs> <laughs> I love this actor, uh, at least in this as well as in in Star Trek uh, Two. Uh, he does a really good performance of being that kind of stilty. Like he just mm-hmm. looks rich. Like you just can kind of look at him and you're like, ooh, he gives off this vibe that he should be having a. Right. Uh, you know, a cable knit sweater tied in front of him with a pink polo shirt on. <laughs> I was surprised to learn that he studied uh, at the actor's studio in Los Angeles because there's there's a quality of Meisner to him in his stillness and he doesn't, there's nothing big about him. He doesn't like yell or, or fly off. It's like everything is is very measured. Uh, and it, that's not Meisner, but it's, it is the stereotype of the Meisner actor. Like you have to pinch them before they do anything. And uh, he had a very believable um, temperance to him. He, he never got shook. Uh, Richard Linebeck played Romus. He was the other uh, sort of scruffy looking uh, dude. And everything, uh, that guy. L- yeah, he later appeared in Deep Space Nine and Enterprise, uh, born in Germany. Uh, and uh, I primarily knew him for roles in Speed and Natural Born Killers, The Ring. He's sort of been, he's had a, a pretty, pretty good career. Yeah. Yeah, there's something reminiscent of a young Eric Gratton, I thought. Ooh. Just look-wise. Like, there was some about him, like, he looks a little bit like Eric back in the day. You're back when I was With about no to fall, at all. fall away in a stiff wind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank Eating you, Eating $1 He's hot dogs on the in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, that's just, that's just if you want a tip. <laughs> like, of course, they were $1 because right. I got a tip. But, I mean, they're free, my friend. <laughs> You don't pay for hot dogs in Hell's Kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) Our final guest was Kimberly Farr. She played Langor. Um, did not too much of a career, but the most, uh, you know, compared to to, to these other uh, folks. Um, But she was the mom of a show called Live-In, which was apparently about a family that takes in an Australian live-in nanny that the oldest son hits on all the time. And that's all the information I could, is one season in 1989. And uh, there is like no description other than that. Was Matthew McConaughey in it? Where he's just like, you just got to keep on living. L-I-V-I. All right, all right, all right. Well, let's get to this, um, as I keep calling it, very special episode yeah. uh, we start out uh, in the Delos system where the sun is just freaking out uh, and there are magnetic flares causing issues uh, so the the enterprises come to to get a closer look and we are warned early on that we might have trouble with some of our electronic uh, doodads and our communication systems I love Riker's line in this kind of opening uh, he is so deadpan. He really loves this so much, but he's like, oh, God, what is it? It's like those explosions. <laughs> 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 <In> the most, 
like I, it was before awesome was awesome but yeah. well i have written here that Those, i love eruptions. that none of them are anything but odd so i picked up on at least that the, yeah. the root word at the same time by the spectacle like none of them are reacting with any sort of cynicism of like i live in space i've seen this shit you know and <laughs> i i kind of dig that yeah it's a it's a, it's a beautiful i i love that that uh that shot too, where they get the the sunshade to come in. <laughs> <laughs> what MS Paint type of shit was that? I have literally seen um, Greg's older daughter do better stop motion. <laughs> I have se- I saw it this weekend. <laughs> this past week, like, absolutely, she it does was better like, special boink. effects than that black dog. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, as as we it go get closer, things start freaking out, and Troy feels tension mounting in the ship. So what do they do? They get closer because what else are they supposed to do? Uh, and all of the all of the stations are getting hit by X ray bursts. Uh, Wesley loses his uh, station altogether. I was worried for him. Uh, that big wow he gives is, is very, it was like, these blue lights. He's like, wow. I'm like, what? That was the director telling you to do it once more, wasn't it? <laughs> give, me, give me some big eyes. <laughs> we won't use this deck, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think these well, touch screens he, that we've been watching them deal with, uh, they've always looked suspect. They've always looked like a little bit of humidity will really fuck up what the entire thing is trying to do. But now we get just waterproof. electricity through them and uh, we're not hearing that little uh, dead sound that it usually makes when you touch it and nothing happens. We're not we're not hearing any sounds. I mean, I think at this point you got to have some some lever you can pull that turns it from a touchscreen into like old fashioned typewriter buttons and shit <laughs> uh, or knobs like any something over. that moves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't there worry. Is. I think that's great. You you all the really need to have version. seen Jimmy's uh, handwork. <laughs> it was there. really good. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the entire like uh, console seems to go like nuts. Like it has like these electric waves through it, and I was just thankful that there was no disease passed by these electric waves. There was no alien intelligence uh, who got into the computers by these electric waves. It was very much it just didn't like cover a red anyone in frost the beginning here. They finally <laughs> ran out of frost from earlier in the season. <laughs> that bulk that they buy. Like, okay. <laughs> you gotta use it. <laughs> well, as they get closer to the sun, they hear a transmission for help. Uh, turns out it's the freighter sanction and is uh, losing its integrity as as they get closer and closer. As it is too close to that sun. Salute. Uh, there are six life signs on board. Uh, and then there's just that great phone call. <laughs> where, where he's just so fucking vague about what's going on. And it's just so like, all right. It just is what it is, man. I swear the next acid trip will use this scene, but they'll intercut... Uh, Things from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> right. Like, I just want to hear that. Is this 
what day is this? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> fucking eat the eagles, man. <laughs> is that the pizza guy? <laughs> you know, it's already the 10th. <laughs> I'll be there, man. <laughs> right on. <laughs> But the looks, the looks oh that Picard God. and Riker give each other is really sells the entire thing. They're just like, what is this? What is this Cheech and right. Sean shit that we're listening to? What is actually happening? It is, it is fun to watch how judgmental they get immediately. Like Picard is, is like, wait, you're you're in charge of this spaceship and you can't build a new one out of yeah. like sticks <laughs> right. and right. chewing gum <laughs> motherfucker you've been a captain of a vessel for seven years you haven't learned and then it, it calls me back to later on when they ask uh lieutenant yar some question and she's like you'll have to ask the captain and i'm like you're gonna ask the captain about like the technological specs of this thing they're asking about it's so odd <laughs> i think that was just everybody's uh answer to them <laughs> just to get them to go away <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to ask the captain. Right. It's a future version of, oh, I'm going to have to ask my manager. <laughs> yeah. That was awkward. Talk to dad. I can't help you. I like when finally they decide, which it takes them a long time to decide to beam them over, which I'm sure there's some protocol about that. But like that idea hits them. You know, it's the, it's the last uh, sort of last defense against what's happening. They try everything. They try the tractor beam. They try uh, to uh, pull them closer. No, with the tractor beam. That's still the tractor beam. What, what else do they try? Uh, uh, they tried they try to, to send us over to help them with the coils. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. But but Natasha says no. Correct. No, no, that's no good. Natasha, and then Picard casually asked Data, is like, can you just hack into their systems uh, and figure out what's happening? And yeah. no one bats an eye at that, the intrusion no. of that. That seems kind of yeah. A, I didn't know that was possible. Maybe just because it's not a warship. Oh you know, right, warship it's just doesn't a freighter. Have, Maybe it's a have, reference you know, it's, to Wrath uh, uh, of Khan when they when they break into the Enterprise systems and and bring the uh, shields down. Ooh, ooh, now that would have been. Maybe it was uh, the guy who played Sobi who was like, maybe you guys could use this because we're not getting our pages fast enough. So also, I wasn't credited in it. So Back in the day, let me tell you what we used to do with Star Trek when something like this would come up, he says. <laughs> Back in the day, four years ago when Star Trek Two came out. <laughs> When they finally decide to beam them over, I love that uh, to John's answer is, if you think that's best... Like they're moments <laughs> away from death. Yeah. Right. That's serious. Like Winnie the Pooh was captaining that starship. Everything. That I got a rumbly in my tumbly. Uh, I have to say. <laughs> so clearly, they, in retrospect, that means that they had just taken their doses, right? Like that was oh, what they were just talking no, the last bit of doses. And so they, just, they, they were dosed up. <laughs> Oh, they absolutely. That's what I think. a very yeah. short half-life because like within 10 minutes, they're already Jones. Yeah, they didn't break in. Well, yeah. that's what I wonder what, because they say they say a no dose lasts over 72 hours. So it's like in what portion of their all right, all right, are they in? Right. The very uh, end? Maybe, maybe getting towards the going, because really what their symptoms are is coming down. 
So, so they're closer right. to the hands off the leather part of the day than the uh, all right, all right, all right part. Of right, the day. right. Yeah. Uh, I think that this interesting because uh, we know that uh, the next episode spoiler uh, is going to go <laughs> poorly for yeah. Tasha, uh, but she's got a lot of good ideas in this episode. Like she's the one that's constantly like, let's try the tractor beam. Hey, I think I can get into this transporter. Uh, like she, you know, she's, she's sort of on top of her game, which I feel like in the last few episodes, we've seen her take a more active role in her actual job and to have her slightly better, well-written <laughs> right here at the end is just sort of <laughs> ironic. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week, I'm sure. We'll talk about that. Uh, I, I think this is a direct response to her quitting. I think they were just like, well, shit, we got to have at least one episode that features her a little bit better, you know, and as a, as a bit of a farewell. And I think that more because of the, the scene with Riker yeah. and her uh, walking and talking doesn't really add much to the plot. It doesn't really do anything, but I think that might be the first and maybe the longest scene that the two of them had together this entire run. And it feels like an insertion that Riker or Jonathan Frakes perhaps was just like, uh, you know, let let yeah. us do this at least once together so that we could say that we acted together once on the show uh, and 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 was more of an advocate perhaps for uh, Denise Crosby uh, to the rest of the staff. Uh, well, to in kind a of make cynical kind of way, it it helps next week. Like if you give her a bigger role this week and you finally say, you know, you give her a line like, I need to figure out how to, how to keep us safe from these people and have Riker go, yes, you do. Like that finally is like, here is exactly what Tasha's job kind of is on the ship. Uh, And, and to give her, you know, what turns out to be a a big responsibility because these are dangerous people. Like, uh, hopefully we care more when uh, she meets her, uh, her final dialogue next week. <laughs> well, I love that, that she is having nothing to do with the, the sort of Dave's not here, man, uh, strung outness, uh, of, uh, of these two, um, just, but she also, I, I love that it, no one's having them, but also no one's having the douchey McDouchetrins either. Like everyone's pretty frustrated with both sides of this coin, um, uh, before before they even get on board, of course, they've transport over their cargo before they transport over any people, which is an unusual move. Yeah, yeah. And it gives Picard uh, the chance at the opening of Act 2, I think, where he's like, let me quickly summarize, like, I, I can't deal with these people because they've, they've been doing their cargo first. And I just love that it was like, oh, what a great little uh, intro into exactly what it, our feelings are going on right here and it is off from the beginning because they don't care about the two no. people that died which troy points out later but they're just like is the cargo okay very concerned yeah. about that cargo uh in very different ways right there's this sort of uh almost bordering on dispassionate passion for the that that it's there uh and then the frenzied need for the cargo to be there from the other two uh, I like when they so they start fighting with energy hands because why not? Um, that's just a thing that they also have, happen to have, and it takes Tasha a long time to intercede. Like there is a lot of zappy fingers going on before she finally intercedes, and the line she says is, 
Behave yourselves, gentlemen. <laughs> this is this still is the, the era. Room. Boys will be boys. Right? <laughs> oh, come, come on, kids. And yet again, uh, uh, they, they send them to the observation deck after they've attacked each other. Um, you know, you think we would have learned with the Klingons when we threw them into jail with their full battle armor uh, and weaponry with them that maybe we would have learned... Oh shit! We should be a little bit more careful. No, these are white people. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> and you can't confiscate yeah, their energy fingers. <laughs> I as, mean, uh, Tasha different. points out you can confiscate anybody's fingers. <laughs> you just. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to draw a, a diagram here. But there's a hammer scene. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking knives, but I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, that's why you're the storyteller. I mean, you go right past the expected. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but I loved Tasha's, you know, because she's using the phaser there to break it up, which, you know, I was like, oh, is she hurting them? No, it's just a stun, mm. which is good. But it has that whole energy of the, like, bartender with a shotgun, like, clicking right. it. That, like, I just loved that kind of thing. So that's where I, that's where the energy was for and that line. I you think, know what struck the, me, uh, <laughs> Calm down, uh, the silly, stupid thing that struck me was how slim their phasers looked in this scene. Yeah, like they had, they were like little uh, TV remotes or like yeah. a, a remote <laughs> for your fan. It's like I wonder if they had a little upgrade because a couple episodes ago when they're on the planet, uh, they take out the giant ones, the big beefy ones, and they like they uh, drill through, they they laser through the the wall and climb through. Yeah, with the yeah. Whip. No, this they, was, this, this one, one is actually the keychain phaser. Yeah, that's, yes, the yeah. key, it's perfect. The fob, yeah. fob phaser. It's a keychain phaser. <laughs> oh, Yours I tell you, with when a those... two-year subscription to Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Yes, and it opens your door. <laughs> but when it runs out of battery, oh, it's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> Got to get the quarter out right. to open the bag. It's one of those little round those batteries. Teeny, that you tiny can't, little you batteries. Oh, Bob Newhart used Where to do, do this whole those? bit about uh, talking someone through dismantling a bomb. And he was like, "All right, you gotta get, you gotta get a number three flathead, non-magnetized copper screwdriver. Do you have one of those? No. Okay, okay just use a dime. <laughs> and that's what I always think when someone has to open up one of those little things. Oh, Bobby Hart." Well, it turns out that the cargo is uh, is medicine, quote unquote, uh, felicium uh, that the planet or Nara desperately needs because of a plague. And knowing what we know about felicium, that is a fucking fantastic name. Uh, it may be a little too on the nose, a la unobtainium. What's that thing we can't get? Oh, yeah, right, unobtainium. Right. But it's what's that thing that makes you ridiculous, ha- li- happy? Oh, it's the felicium. My my dad explained to me about unobtainium that that was a word that has been used for a very long time to like stand in like wicket uh, in economics has been used to just stand in for anything. So in in various just, scientific yeah. fields or even economic fields, again, unobtainium is whatever doesn't exist yet, but is super duper valuable that you talk about. And so his theory was they just the people who actually discovered it thought, let's fucking name it unobtainium because we fucking found it. 
Like this is what we've been mm. talking about for all this time. So it was kind of an inside joke to research scientists. And oh, I, I don't know wow. if that's true. I know it didn't Meta. work and it, and I was mocking it as well. <laughs> but he's like, no, yeah. I mean, that's what people have been calling, you know, right? theoretical substances for a long time. So where are the dummies? I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the root for f- felicium you were thinking was uh, felicity, uh, felicity, yeah, which like, you know means oh. uh, uh, intense happiness. <laughs> so I was thinking it was fallacy oh. was the root. I hadn't thought that way because I thought it was F A, not F E, uh, which Ooh. also works. Those I are like both it. Fun, right? Uh, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let our, our our listeners choose who they like better, Greg or me. I sense a poll. <laughs> I would like to take both Felicium and, and Felicium. <laughs> See, I thought it was Felicium, and I just thought, whoa, <laughs> that went well, way over my head when I was young. And and why is it orange? <laughs> I mean, that that shit would have been predicting the future as well as anything we've ever had. Like how many billions have gone into fallacy of pills in the last fucking fifteen years? Uh, the rich people are total. They're dicks. They're just total dicks about this shit uh, and say that this they, it belongs to them because they never actually received payment. Uh, uh, and. Uh, I wanted to kick them both in the shins uh, because you see the two sides. You've got the the emotional and the logical or, or the impact, you know, the passionate versus the dispassionate reactions to this, um, which really starts to even early on sort of mess with the, the ship, uh, the folks. And we start to see uh, different officers reacting differently to what these situations are. Yeah. And I th- like I didn't. On uh, further viewings, I didn't kind of I kind of realized that like they're big pharma in the allegory that yeah. is presented here. Right. They are the ones who are like, you know, Pfizer being like, we'd spent a lot of money to do this uh, re- refining of, uh, you know, Viagra. We should be paying, you know, getting our, our money's worth for it. Um, and it is uh, pretty, pretty gross, pretty gross symbolism there. But great yeah. acting. I really enjoy both of them. Yeah. And they play yeah, off perfect. each other extraordinarily well. Yeah, that great moment when yeah. the card comes into their room and Sobe's going to say something, yes. but she interrupts. And they like immediately, just by the way he reacts, you know, oh, I got out of turn. I'm actually lower down the peg. I've done this before. I should have learned. Like, that's that lesson of you can do one tiny thing and you can tell a story. And yeah. it was perfect. Agreed. Yeah. Just I also really like how there was the the non dialogue storytelling in that scene, the way it opens, in that they're drinking yeah. some orange juice or something, and they're very much like, "We are pigs <laughs> ship right now." And true. Look at this ship; it is great, and this is all working out perfectly. And then the captain walks in and, and kind of messes with it. But it's, I wrote it's so there: uh, these two douches are just sitting there drinking like dick holes. <laughs> <laughs> dick holes. <laughs> With smart so looks funny to each other, being like, like mm-hmm. I wrote down when I watched that scene with the. I, I didn't even think about the orange juice. I thought, oh, it looks like orange juice, but immediately I thought, oh, the computer knows the Breckian liquor, like it, you know, just like mm. the Klingons had ordered their drink when they came in and had a moment. It was like, oh, they're having whatever the Breckian um, cocktail hour drink is. 
Uh, and I wish, as I thought, as I wish they would have tell, told me what drink that was. <laughs> yeah. uh, but of course, it was probably just orange juice, like you're saying. Like they're <laughs> chilling. They don't do drugs. They don't do anything. They know what it's like. Right? They to clearly be, jog. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. No, Sobe was uh, in great shape. I mean, that guy definitely did squats. Oh, and then some. Full squat thrusts. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Picard goes to see them uh, after, you know, ha- having heard the impassioned speech that uh, the Ornarans uh, 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 give him about you're going to murder everyone on our planet unless you help us. You know, so he goes to see if he can get just two doses of this uh, of this medicine. And uh, I love what you said, Jimmy, because it is just so clear who the, what the power dynamic is in that scene it's delicious yeah and well just well done by both people i mean i've said it before but it stands it's worth repeating like if you're an actor and you're gonna play a king you don't act like a king everybody else treats you like a king and that's how you establish for the audience what kingship or that power position is like and they both played into that perfectly well she didn't go over the top to say i'm in charge she let him you know, turn around and present the bum. <laughs> and, and he knows that it is very interesting how you choose to be subordinate to someone. Do you know? And mm-hmm. the, you don't have to, like, maintain your superiority somehow while you show that the other person is in charge. That's a, a thing that so many actors across all genres mm-hmm. and like success levels do. They're like, I'll back down, but I want to make sure everyone right. watching knows that it's because I'm going to back down. But right. this guy understands mm-hmm. that it's much more interesting to back down because you have to back down and they're in right. charge. Right. Like yes. that's more interesting. And that's what way, he did. Way more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys have talked a lot about what mm-hmm. it's like to lie uh, as an actor, and that's something watching this really struck me with these two is that they lie oh, great. Yeah, they are so, so good. good at it. I, as the audience, believe them. You know, throughout until until yes. we get to the point where 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 Picard kind of well, and Kimberly it all out. Farmer in in particular, or Kimberly, I'm sorry, Kimberly Farr in particular um, has some non-spoken moments where she's in the background and her whole demeanor changes from where she was trying to be the the kind kind of um uh reasonable one uh and she's not speaking and she's not even in focus but you can see her go from this like smile to these dead shark eyes that are just looking straight ahead and Mm. it's a beautiful moment it's not too much it's yeah they're great that's a good point you brought up greg i and i i it didn't register with me because the actors did so well is the lie. They didn't tip their hand. And I think lesser actors would have felt the need to show that they weren't being sincere or truthful. And that puts the other actor in a very difficult situation uh, wherein they have to ignore that what, what everyone else can plainly see uh, because their dialogue doesn't allow them to acknowledge it. Um, and they played it really well where the information wasn't there. So they didn't sh- share the information And uh, again, just top notch, really well done by, by both, both actors. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Beverly is beginning to put two and two together uh, as she starts to uh, examine these two gentlemen and turns out that the, they're, 
there are definitely symptoms, uh, but there seems to be no cause. Uh, and as she finds out that uh, the Brackens or Brackens, Brackens uh, have no other goods or manufacturing and begins to realize that the illness of one is tied to the prosperity of the other, she puts two and two together and, uh, and drops, drops. Well, first of all, they get their dose. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that each of them had the works <laughs> ready. They're like, here's here's the thing right. you need to do to yep. get the th- stuff yeah, the in the system. And that spoons. was very much, I haven't, by the times I've seen this, I had not seen train spotting yet because it hadn't existed yet, but I was very much thinking of Pulp Fiction and, right. and you know, train spotting and all those kind of heroin uh, uh, cinematic moments from the uh, mid 90s. And it was yeah. spot on. I mean, it was exactly those those type of scenes down to the uh uh i'm blanking on the, the name of the guy that plays david marcus but he's like okay. yeah, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, yeah. I'm good I'm well there's good. that 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 moment where it hits the system that you can see right i, I don't know what you mean <laughs> please describe this sensation wait a second don't don't worry we're gonna talk about to it in great detail <laughs> so uh so they're starting to learn more about these two planets uh and they find out that there was a plague 200 years ago um and that this plant may have been the cure but now it's just a, an addictive substance uh picard sees uh, where I, this is an interesting thing because Picard sees a symbiotic relationship, which is, in, of course, the title. Uh, whereas <laughs> Crusher seems it uh, sees it as much more parasitic, and there's that. That's the fundamental sort of crux between the two of them. Uh, besides their interpretation of uh, the Prime Directive. Um, but before we can get to all of that actually interesting moral quandary, we have to take a little break for a very special moment between Wesley and Tasha, uh, where we have the absolute after-school special moment of, golly, I don't understand why people would do something like that. And we get the rundown from Tasha about drugs in in great detail uh and uh the whole time i thought i'm so high this is awkward (laughs) (laughs) this is awkward i'm so sorry will (laughs) oh man but i i mentioned this before but man this scene was pretty much how i thought about drugs for a good decade after seeing this episode I was, I mean, many of us uh, of this generation went through the D.A.R.E. program, uh, especially in the Northeast. It was D.A.R.E., D.A.R.E. to keep kids off drugs. They even know what the drug abuse resistance education. education. That's what it was, Um, which was a very, you know, non-veiled attempt to mind control kids about, hey, this is this is the danger of uh hard drugs and if you ever taste it once you're going to go down this dark path and I, I i bought it and i bought it wesley's whole uh thought about this as well and it was i, I it made sense it, and and tasha the way she explains it also made sense to me uh and it was you know I don't know, just real seminal moment for me as a young kid, you know, in middle school where all those decisions would be made, uh, you know, in a, in a few years uh, to uh, to abstain. So thank you, Star Trek, for 
<laughs> making me a dork in uh, high school up until a certain point. This caused a lot of problems. There was uh, reports of actual shouting on set. Uh, people vehemently did not like this speech in particular. Um, but many episodes, uh, many issues throughout with feeling like uh, motivations were being changed on the daily um, and just feeling like this was just a little too much. And Maurice Hurley actually is quoted as saying, I take the blame for that. I jammed that in over everyone's objections. They were screaming on the sets. The actors were screaming. They were puking. They were yelling, we can't do this. I said, no, there are kids out there. Ugh. If we're going to if we're gonna make the message, let's make the message. If it offends the adults or bothers some kid, then by God, we're going to do it. Wow. <laughs> it was a popular one at the time. It's a popular one now. Yeah. Uh, during this d- during this time period, we got our first um, uh, video camera, and of course, it was huge. It was about the size of you know uh, my my dog, uh, <laughs> who's a, a nice pug Pomeranian mix, uh, about as heavy too. Uh, and the very first thing I ever recorded was um, that commercial where the kid is on the bed and the dad comes in with the box and is like, who taught you how to do this? Who taught you how to do this? And he says, you all right. I learned it by watching you. <laughs> Those PSAs were like emblazoned six times, an especially hour. in like, afternoon television where it was like this is where kids are watching cartoons after they come home from school let's make sure we do that one as well as the you know, the Rachel frying Lee pan Cook. with the two eggs mm. yeah right like this is your brain on drugs uh, at, at least at the know, end of and- G.I. Joe they taught you like how to get across a frozen lake without breaking the ice <laughs> <laughs> those yeah. are skills we need to know uh, and it just keeps going and going and going. This speech by Tasha, mm-hmm. like it's just it's it just interminably long. long. Uh, I think just to make people feel really guilty, like that you can't get past it. You can ignore <laughs> it for only so long before it starts to become uh, a, a, a little pointed. Is it possible that uh, Denise Crosby had a number of words? ratio in her contract and this was the last one they're like we gotta give her 75 more words <laughs> oh i hope so that's a fantastic agent that makes more sense than anything else so i think it's canon, canon. <laughs> Um, they get a call from the planet and the leader is freaking out also uh wants to see uh wants to see his two uh, he's yeah. uncredited, and he's a pretty good actor. He's got a, yeah. a pretty good resume. Yeah, he's in tons of stuff. I forgot his name because uh, yeah, he's one of those guys. Yeah, you know, you know him, but yeah. you don't know him. <laughs> he's always uh, somebody's sad dad. Right, right. Richard Lin. Lindbeck. I'm getting a. I w- no, we've already talked about him. He's not credited at all, is he? Mm-mm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Continue, everyone. But- I'm a, he gives off strong President Camacho vibes to me uh, from Idiocracy, where just, he's just as addicted as everybody else was. He's just like, man, we need it now. Yeah. Like, 
why isn't the Gatorade working? We just got to pour it. It's got electrolytes on it. Man, the whole planet is addicted, Greg, from infants to elderly. Well, the, and that, the globe I mean, is we'll addicted. That at, we'll yeah. get to that at the end because I, yeah, I have there's some, some interesting there. things about that planet for sure. If uh, I we may, get to, yeah, Kenneth please. Tigar or Tigar is the guy's name. And off the top of my head, I'm looking at him here and I keep thinking he's the guy from the Lethal Weapon movies who runs the bomb squad is part of oh. it. I always picture him with that flak vest on. Uh, but yeah, tons and tons of stuff. Most recently, he's Heinrich Himmler in Man of the High Castle. He's in everything. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh. Uh, mm. We get to see the second use of uh, electric hands, uh, of uh, electricity fingers, um, <laughs> which for the second week in a row, Riker... <laughs> Gets frozen. Fro- gets frozen. And this time, oh, that pose is just so oh, oh, oh painful. It's just a slight doofy look of shock. And he <laughs> just, really he, just he right. commits. Yeah, is he just not moving during that bit, or is there some special effect? <laughs> no, he's fully just he has decided to not move. It's a really nice just freeze. Not moving. Yeah, it was a great because there's no point where I was like, oh, I can see him not, trying not to move. Like he looked <laughs> frozen. Well done. That was definitely a special skill on his resume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where he was like, I can freeze yeah, for a long time. Did you guys ever want to do that? They just, just wrote that into scripts just because they could. We got to use this. Uh, it rivals me. the death of Augustus and I, Claudius, for stillness. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Picard totally pulls a go ahead, go ahead, kill him. See if we care. Move. <laughs> break across Whatever. It's not my favorite anyways. Uh, I prefer number two. Uh, <laughs> Man, I wish I would have said that. I, I just, I love, I love he, he gives him the, 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 you're, you're not a killer. You're not going to do that because you're not a killer. And of course it works. It yeah. works. I've looked in your eyes. And then he immediately says, I still can't help you. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but thanks. Uh, then uh, I wrote the lady bitch wants to see Picard as opposed to the, the, the guy bitch. Uh, <laughs> and they have now just. Brekkians. Brekkians. And. And they now have decided to give the shipment for free. And it's at this point that Picard figures out their gambit. Right. That they had been uh, holding back the information and, in fact, refining it even more so to make it more potent, which, you know, in in this allegory of the war on drugs, is that supposed to be crack? Yes. I think it's supposed to be crack. But but it also, I mean, that's what they're, the critics are currently saying about marijuana. Like, it's always been the, the criticism. They said it about heroin. They, I mean, it's been true, too. Like, that is what people have done. Uh, is it, mm-hmm. That it gets more over potent uh, if, it, if things are legalized or, or No, just uh, over normalized. time. The, the argument is mm. that uh, the, the push for better and more concentrated drugs is always going to lead to more and more crime and more and more death and more and more addiction. Was that a callback to Q from Farpoint? <laughs> Doing the like... <laughs> sure, let's call it that. That makes me sound real smart. 
I feel like we're we're getting more detail on the Prime Directive this time around. We've we've talked we've talked a little bit about the sort of wandering target that is the Prime Directive in this se- uh, season, as we sort of figure out what it is, and it feels fairly black and white in, with this issue at the very least, where Picard feels very certain that there's absolutely nothing he can do, including tell- telling them that this is happening um, because of the prime directive and Beverly is not having it. I'm a hundred percent on Beverly's side. I am too. I am too. I, I, I get the black and white argument, but I also get that you're already talking to the other side about that, uh, which, you know, they sort of pass off as, well, of course we're talking to you about it because you know about it because you're doing the thing. I think this episode had a lot to do with helping to better define the prime directive because in a few seasons, um, and I've read this, it's now from memory, they <laughs> actually change what that prime directive is and specifically call out that the prime directive does not apply to civilizations with whom the Federation has contacted directly or have work capability. So if they can travel in space mm. and we've contacted them, you can fuck with them all you want. You can get in their business. You can make decisions. You can help them out. Uh, and I think this really may have helped define it because it's it's a really weak argument that Picard has. I mean, he's trying to argue on pure 30,000-foot philosophy when it's impacting people's lives. And, right. and the two never actually are equal. Right. Yeah. One is great when you're in a classroom. The other one is... This is affecting human or, or uh, beings, not humans, yeah. but you know beings. Yeah, I I wrote down kind of exactly what you were just saying, Jimmy. I think it's okay to teach people who use spaceships about mitochondrial DNA and shit. Like, I think it's <laughs> I think that's perfectly fine. You can you can teach them about the concept of people committing fraud. Like that that shit has happened. Like you are not bound to protect this lie right well well we've also seen that they're that he's willing to break the prime directive when it comes to members of his own crew right you know when we when we save wesley's life uh, i think repeatedly uh (laughs) well i would break it for any one of you Oh, thanks. Aww. Thanks. That's so thanks. nice. You ruin entire civilizations. Yeah. I actually agree with Picard. I, <laughs> you I think stone that, cold uh, I do. bastard. I really do. <laughs> because he's the only one who's like, if we do anything in this situation, it is going to upset what, uh, however wrong this this relationship is, it's going to change it. And who are we to do that? <laughs> I'll argue that he actually does do something to change it uh, kind of at the end. But to me, I think it does help define it because it does end up being, you know, uh, I mean, we we had it in previous episodes with um, the Karnas thing and giving weapons to both sides. And you thought that was a balance, you know, and it ended up having 40 years of war continue after that. Who's to say what whatever Picard does here doesn't do the same thing. And then all of a sudden the entire planets go to war and then they fight each other and everyone dies rather than, you know, one uh, species being addictive. And he has a great point that he says with Crusher, where he's like, who are we, like, just because you think it's wrong for people to use drugs, that doesn't mean we get to impose our values on other on other people. 
I agree with none of that. And I think that's okay. <laughs> just simply because I think in this particular situation, I, I don't think it's about we don't agree with people using drugs. We don't agree with people being forced to use drugs, which is what this is. Um, and it's a it's a known disease in this case, you know, addiction. And like, like Jimmy says, like we ran into you in space <laughs> running through this right. calling for our help via, you know, all. Uh, um, but I, I don't think they have warp capability. No, I know. But they I mean, they, they inter, called. Inter-system they called, spaceship. They still travel in space. And they, they called via help and we came to help them. Like if we're going to help them come out of the atmosphere, right? However we do that. I I think at that point, like the prime directive kind of goes out the window. Like you have impacted them already. I, I think it's Be- Beverly who has the quote, uh, it's hard to be philosophical when faced with suffering. Yeah. That might be Picard. I don't remember. And uh, I it's think one of the two. I And I think it's what, what really gets me about what he ends up doing is he knowingly bends the rules to get the effect that he wanted to get morally, which is the problem with laws like this in the first place is you're always going to kind of bend the rule to go ahead and do what you think is morally right anyway, when you're someone like Captain Picard. Do you know what I mean? It's just that he doesn't do it Mm -hmm. honestly. He does it in such a way that is going to take, unless they get the answer from these two people who are now stuck on this planet with them, uh, it's going to take months and real, real pain for millions of people that's not necessary, you know, the withdrawal stuff. Well, I will counter with the fact that the only suffering that's occurring on on Aldaria or whatever the name of the planet is, is because they forgot how to use their freighters. They, they had three ship, they had three freighters who could go back and forth and keep the system, you know, supplied, I guess. Uh, and that yeah. was breaking down. So the, there was already change yeah. occurring that Picard, basically what he, the way he interpreted the, the prime directive was, I'm going to continue that you know, allow the destabilization of these two societies to continue as they would have if not that you know we are not no, totally but he only chose because, to do that because he thinks that they shouldn't have that drug in that way anymore so all it's going to do is make sure they go through the most painful version of withdrawal instead of Beverly being able to give them something that would not make them go through withdrawal at all he was going to give True. them the, I think, the I think for the for the, the freighters and the only yeah, reason right he didn't there. is that Beverly convinced him that it wasn't worth doing and that morally it was wrong so he changed what he interpreted the prime directive as meaning is all i mean i just say that whole that whole yeah. thing to sort of reeked of uh reagan era personal responsibility uh, we're not going to help you because you can't, if you're not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, then we're not going to, we're not going to help you. Uh, and the suffering that you have is you brought it on yourself. Therefore, we're going to see what happens. Yeah. I, I think he did it. Uh, clearly, I think Picard is a nice man. <laughs> I just disagree yeah. with. with and his... so is Greg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love Greg. Well, no, I think the big well, no, you make a really good, strong point. Yeah, I, will, I think I the big say. disconnect for me, too, is one, sort of, it alludes to what Eric had brought up. This episode tried to make it about um, drug addiction, but 
it was more about being duped into drug addiction. So, and that that's the huge disconnect because um, they're trying to make a moral stance about using drugs, but really it's the moral stance about a group of people manipulating a, an entire world <laughs> into drug addiction. And, and that is, is very different. So these people didn't right. willingly become heroin addicts. Uh, they were told you're you're dying, and this is how to save yourself, and then they became addicted. Uh, and two, it's um, it's Star Trek's premise, and this is what when I was watching it, it I was thinking, I was like, I wonder if the writers and Gene got together and like, you know, looking at history, we've seen where people have gone to other places to make it better, and they've ruined it. And that's what their idea of the prime directive is. And in my argument immediately to that, as I was thinking, I was like, well, those are people who are malicious in their intent. They went there to force a religion or a, a lot of times a whiteness onto other places. And yeah, they destroyed those cultures both by bringing unknown diseases and by bringing their culture and stamping it out. That's not the same as helping, like genuinely helping um, other people without asking for anything, without saying you have to give me something or uh, accept my values. It's uh, because it, clearly their values weren't, we want to be addicted. They just wanted to not die. Um, so helping them wouldn't change who they fundamentally were or were going to be. It was correcting um, uh, cor cor correcting duplicity on the part of the, the Breckians. So that would be my my big disagreement with the interpretation, which it was, it wasn't a hard and fast. This is the prime directive. It was clearly and solely Picard's understanding of the prime directive, because we have seen all the way up in this season already different interpretations of what that means. So it, it's yeah. elastic, like the constitution. It, it, it's, you can't pin it down to this is it. And so he was right. It's just, do you want to stand behind him on that? I, while you're talking, Jimmy, I start to wor wonder about, because remembering this time period, uh, you're right, we were just talking about the clear parallels to the crack e epidemic and the the uh, making it stronger and cheaper and flooding certain uh, communities, specifically uh, black inner city communities in the United States. Uh, and, and there's tons of evidence saying who did that. Um, but it also at this time was a real and enormous use of Valium and other things like that that were mm -hmm. doctor prescribed. And that was very um, controversial as well. People saying that, uh, you know, they were, and, and continue to say that these, these are drugs that are prescribed for real problems that then are abused thereafter. So I wonder if, if they were thinking more along the lines of the, the Valium and behavior drugs than they were uh, even the crack and heroin narcotic type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's where the the big pharma, you know, allegory really does make it crystal clear. And I will say, after hearing both of you uh, and uh, and Kate, uh, you know, talk through this, like the the thing that 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 clicked for me was that yes, there there is a, a addiction and things happening here, and all that was necessary was 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 a hand, was a help, was a was was someone just being like, this is okay. You don't have to necessarily take my hand, but. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably the morally right thing for Picard to do to extend that hand. 
But I will say that I think that he tried to do it in his own way. Oh, and, for sure. Mm-hmm. Without w- without doing it. And that is by, you know, not uh, giving the coils to fix the freighters, which and and this is something that I, uh, struck me on, on, on a second viewing here, effectively trapping the two Breckians on this new planet. And I don't know if the Breckians even really realize that as they're being beamed down because they don't they don't give that away. But I think that is probably going to do more to change the balance of these two societies than anything else, because they'll be able to see perhaps more firsthand the suffering mm, yeah. uh, uh, that we've all been talking That's about. That's They become the saviors. <laughs> they step up and they help them through the addiction and become like idolized. <laughs> well, I mean, there the are a two. bunch of different ways they go, right? Do they admit everything, which is the right way to go? Do they try and become saviors, like Jimmy's saying, or do they try and teach this uh civilization how to make the medicine and they control that like you know how ambitious are they (laughs) all i know is this episode ends kind of on a downer like it's it's it 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 has and it has that very special episode feeling where we're 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 not going to end um well we well we'll get to how we end which is uh, sort of interesting uh because picard basically just says i don't care where we go (laughs) Right. Just get a, get yeah. us out of here. Which, as Which soon is, as that happened, I was like, so there's no plan. There's no plan. Unless they call you up and be like, hey, <clears throat> we need you to go and fix this star base. You really just go wherever the hell you want. Well, like, and are there I, some captains who are like, you know, I'm just going to hide out in the Delta Quadrant for a few years. Do my tour of duty. Like, I was like, this is totally unacceptable. That <laughs> I can't think you'd just be like, I'm going wherever the hell I want. Exactly. It, it it feels very off brand. It feels very uh, uh, Jordy gets to pick the coordinates. Uh, uh, I looked up that system. That system uh, appears. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a shitty, shitty system. There's no, no Wi Fi. There's, no, there's no good drugs. Exactly. Dead. <laughs> That's right. Dead anyway. No, it's uh, that that system is only mentioned in this episode. So like it's not even setting up a very like a cool like we're gonna go there because and then sucks. and then the next episode <laughs> picks up there. Yeah. Yeah, that's not where that's not where skin of evil takes place. I Maybe they're like on their it. way there. Fuck it. Let's take a little trip. I mean, we'll we'll <laughs> fix the logs later. I, I notice we don't have a star date. Uh, so how well, are they going to track us anyway? That's what I was going to yeah. say. This this whole episode appears like it's it is out of time in and of itself. Like there's no date. It's mm. just uh, they could have put in it in anywhere. 70s, Kate, what's man? the name of the system again? I, well, I don't remember. Do you uh, know? Do you have shoot. it written down? I don't have it written down. If anybody's listening, our challenge to you is the right a one-page fan fiction of what happens in this system. I don't care what the story is. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to read it. I want to read something happening Jimmy in this shitbag system. <laughs> and only you can give it to him. Jordy is very <laughs> please listen. Jordy's very curious. Well, before we we end, let's hear some final thoughts uh, about this episode. Um, I I for one am gonna give it a solid uh, four. I learned it by watching use. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just a little too didactic for me, uh, a little too clumsy, uh, and uh, we we do sort of have the wandering character motivations and purposes, and and uh, everything just seems. Uh, crammed in there so that we can get the good we can win the message awards uh greg how do you feel about this any any final thoughts on you for this episode 
Yeah, I I uh, I actually really like this episode. It is probably uh, one of the highlights for me in the first season uh, from from memory. Uh, and then on rewatching this and thinking about this, even you know having the the uh, debate that we're having here is what makes Star Trek mm. interesting to me is that there is no necessarily right answer that the four of us who are not going to necessarily agree on interpretations of a made-up philosophy <laughs> in the 24th century on a, on a you know a planet that has this this kind of relationship like i think that is amazing and is what star trek does best uh, i do think it does fall flat uh, a little bit on how to explain drugs in the right way but i uh loved a lot of the performances and so yeah i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna have it up there uh, on, on on some of the high levels nice. here. Eric. I give this seven cylinders of um, felicium, which of course, as we know, makes one barrel somehow. Uh, I agree with Greg. This is one of my favorite ones. Like I was really looking forward to coming back to it. I, I love it unironically the way I unironically love Reefer Madness. I think... <laughs> I I have, you know, uh, upon rewatching this, this is the first time I saw it since having, you know, explored my own relationship with addiction. And uh, it's mm. it's interesting to watch in kind of every way. And I, I'm grateful for Riker's performance uh, in particular. <laughs> I think that thing is just stunning and stellar. I have no idea why he chose to do just about anything he did. And I wouldn't have him change it for the world. Uh, I think this is just a terrific episode. And uh, I, I, I love the robust debate. I, I am used to it with Jimmy, but uh, I, I haven't uh, gotten to enjoy that much with you, Greg. Uh, so I, I, I love this. This is a very special <laughs> episode of Me and Cage. Jimmy. Uh, it's a tough one for me, Kate, because I absolutely agree with your assessment with uh, uh, the plot and especially the overbearing look at the camera and don't do drugs speech that they gave Tasha. Uh, however, I also agree with Greg that there, there's some great performances, especially with um, uh, Toby or Froby, the blonde haired and his partner. I think the two um, the two addicted people do a pretty good job with their addiction as well. It's there's nothing original or, or imaginative about how they do it, but it's absolutely believable in every scene. Um, so I really love that, but there's gigantic plot holes in how one society is technologically advanced, but never questions this plague or comes through it. There's not one single person on the planet who's just like, you know, I'm tired and I don't care if I die and that they don't die. And they realize, oh, look, I made it through it like 200 years. It's, it, <laughs> it, 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 they, they swept all logic aside. For the simple punch you in the nose, this is a drug story <laughs> aspect. Um, so it's really clashing with me. So I guess I have to give it a solid five be because of that. But the acting, th there's some really great um, masterclass stuff here that I think some young actors should take a look at because uh, that's what you want to do. If you want to be an actor, you need to pull off some of the stuff that, that these guys do in this show, Yeah, this episode. And I will say that I, I do agree with all of you that the performances in this episode uh, make it much more enjoyable than uh, than it has any right to be. <laughs> 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 uh, 
and and plus it provides the opening uh for star trek acid yeah. party uh, it's that whole bit about opening up that ca the canister and the barrel and how they refined it to make it good and that little pinching uh tool that takes up the one little pebble uh and uh, makes it potent so like you know acid party's fast on its way becoming to the, the new wet pants <laughs> <laughs> which by the way i was positive that eric was gonna say was like when i was listening to you jimmy i wet my pants <laughs> <laughs> who's to say he didn't who's i didn't want to step on your joke though oh i appreciate that well, um, join us uh, next week for Skin of Evil. Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy D is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito at Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage. <laughs>